I read an article some time ago that I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know how they track this, but the article said that the average person at work receives somewhere around 200 requests for attention. The average person at work receives somewhere around 200 requests for attention. That could be a knock at the door, a phone call, maybe an email, uh, some alarm going off on your phone telling you you need to be at a meeting. Uh, some of you might think 200 would be a really good day for me. Uh, others might be, wow, 200. It's interesting to think about how many of those even surprise interruptions actually help with the task that we have. So at the end of the day, you think, wow, a hundred of those 200 actually helped me accomplish what I wanted to get done. Then if we move from a vocational setting at work and we think of life in general, it probably gets even more staggering, doesn't it, to just think of how many requests for your attention you receive or you encounter during the day, many of which we probably don't even realize. You're driving in the car and listening to the radio and a commercial comes on telling you, you need this product, you need to buy this car, you need to go here for vacation. Requests for our attention. Maybe family members who need help. The check engine light comes on in your car. The dryer is beeping that the clothes need to come out. I mean, not all bad. Some of them are good interruptions, but they're always calling for our attention. And if you're a a mother of preschoolers, you could probably multiply this exponentially with the number of requests you get for your attention. But the result is our lives can sometimes feel like they're not under our control. We're We're responding and reacting to all these calls for our attention that we give to these other people. They're not all bad, but they impact the plan. They impact the direction that we have in life. I think this is really important for those of us who follow Jesus because we've been given some priorities in our, in our faith, some priorities in what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so we need to make sure that we hone in on what are really the priorities. What are those things that God has called us through Scripture to focus on? We need help. We need a new paradigm. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today, but I thought it'd be good if this is what we're going to talk about. We actually stop and ask God to help us get some of those other distractions out of our way. So will you pray with me? God, there are not just the distractions of the the phone and emails and all that. Uh, If everyone here is like me, sometimes the distractions and the calls for attention are in my own mind or a reminder to do this, fear about that. So I pray that during these minutes when we're looking into your word that you would take away and, and just kind of clear out all those other calls for our attention that in these moments while we're here in this service that we would hear your call above the noise, that we would hear the voice of God above the noise of our own minds and hearts and fears. Amen. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been starting a journey through the gospel of Mark. And Mark picks up at the end of chapter 1 on Jesus' public teaching and wants us to kind of rise above the reactionary living, even to the challenges and the problems and struggles that he was having in the first uh, century. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We were introduced last week, and Don preached to John the Baptizer, uh, kind of a strange man, but a man who was critical in bringing the kingdom message of God to the world, that Jesus Christ is coming, and he's going to be the one who is going to help us to know God. Jesus was baptized, then he went into the desert for a spiritual temptation, which is 
very important for us as followers of Jesus that we, we really know that Jesus went through that time of being tempted by the devil and overcoming that temptation by leaning on, leaning on his heavenly Father, which is a lesson for us. And then Mark moves very quickly into the inauguration of Jesus' teaching, and that's where we're going to be today. Mark chapter 1, I want to read verses 14 through 20. Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. When he had gone a little farther... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. I'm going to talk about two requests from this passage, two requests for our attention that really need to be priorities for us in our own lives. John had been handed over to the authorities. We learn from other gospel accounts John was confined, then he was executed, which is sort of a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus. And then in verse 14, Jesus is returning to Galilee from the wilderness temptation, and later he would set up his headquarters on the northwest uh, uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Capernaum, which we'll talk about as we continue through our study. Um, here's a map, by the way, of the region that we're talking about. And you see the Sea of Galilee. Um, do we have that map? There we go. The, the lower uh, body of water there um, is the, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee to the north, Capernaum on the north. Shore. So this is the area that Jesus is going to kind of set up his, his uh, ministry base of operations for a while. It's important to understand this is a real lake, real fishermen, real life going on all around here. And Jesus is coming in with a really important message. He comes in and he talks about what in the passage we're looking at, he says, is the gospel of God. The good news that God in Christ Jesus has fulfilled all the promises of God to Israel and is actually setting up both this now and yet to come kingdom that we need to understand. Global implications. The world is a very small place in many ways for us today because we can video chat with someone on the other side of the world. We, can, we, we make this big planet very small. But think about in the first century, Jesus was coming and he was launching from the spot on the Sea of Galilee a global movement a global movement of God interacting with people and bringing the good news of salvation to people like us. It's just fascinating to think of what Jesus was doing. Verse 15 says, the time has come. Literally, the time is fulfilled. Time is fulfilled. If you were here a few weeks ago when we started this study in Mark. Remember the very first verse that says the beginning of the gospel. Something's just getting started, and we haven't even got out of the first chapter yet, and it's over. Well, it's because both those are happening at the same time. The beginning of the gospel, God is starting in Jesus this story of redemption, and in Jesus it's complete. In Jesus we find all that we need. The kingdom of God is near. It's a close proximity of the kingdom of God. Sometimes uh, it's interchangeable in the Gospels. The kingdom of heaven is used from time to time. But this is the main theme of what Jesus taught throughout his public ministry. He called people like you, people like me, 
to live according to the governance, to live according to the influence and mercy and grace of God. That's the kingdom of God that's personified in Jesus, and we're called to live. And now this was, this was hugely troubling for, for the Jewish people that were looking for a Messiah because they, they wanted a Messiah who would bring a, a, a human reign and control and break the Roman Empire's control over Israel. And Jesus came saying, you know what, there's a kingdom beyond this. There's another kingdom that I'm coming to talk to you about. Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 15 is another place that we read about this. It says in Matthew eleven twelve, 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. There's something aggressive. There's something powerful. There's something active about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and those of us who are encountering God and participating in that. It goes on for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear the kingdom of God. When my kids were small, I remember we have a school three blocks from our house, and I would walk the kids when they were real little to the playground at this school. And we would walk the first couple blocks, you know, leisurely going. But do you know what happened as soon as their eyes caught the playground equipment? There was no more walking leisurely, was there? It was a full-out, everything I've got to get to that playground. Forceful people take hold of things that they want. Uh, not a playground, but it's something much better, God's kingdom, the reign of God. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that when we people who are lost and broken and trying to find our own way get a glimpse of what it's like in a, in a reign of God where God is in control, where his grace, his mercy, his power, his purposes are fulfilled, our only response is nothing will get in my way. I must live into that. The kingdom journeying forward is what Jesus is talking about. Now, it's kind of important that we know the different kinds of, or different aspects of the kingdom. It's both a future reality and a current reality. And we have to accept both of those. It's a distant reality. Jesus speaks in other places of his faithful followers gathering for a kingdom banquet. Uh, Jesus talks about when we enter the kingdom. Jesus talks about when he enters the kingdom, which we'll talk about a little bit later when we have communion. But the kingdom of God is also a very near reality right now. Jesus told his followers that they would not taste death until they saw the kingdom of God. He spoke of the secret kingdoms, the secrets of the kingdom of God being revealed to the followers of God through Christ. And in the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is in heaven. So the kingdom reality, it's both a, a far distant reality and it's a very close reality that we live in each day. One theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, writes like this, the kingdom and its coming is thoroughly messianic, shaped by the unique demands of Christ. Truly, he is the kingdom in person. He is the kingdom in person. And he gives us that hope. I had a an experience, a sad experience, but one of those sad, happy experiences this last week, one of our own, uh, and we send our condolences to the Abshire family, Jane Abshire, one of our 
church family members passed away this week after a long illness, and I went to see her on Wednesday, and we knew that time was very short, and opened God's Word, prayed with her and her husband Larry, and read Scripture, and uh, wow, you talk about the kingdom of God being near. That, that convergence of the, the, the far eternal kingdom and the now kingdom. And I left, I left there after praying and I was driving back to the church and all of a sudden all the other stuff that I'd been worried about that day got really small. All the other problems that I'm dealing with in life, all the other challenges got really small. Because for, for that moment I saw that incredible convergence of the faraway kingdom and the near kingdom Then Jesus said, here's what your response is supposed to be. Look at verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And we don't focus on repentance a lot these days. It almost implies we've done something wrong, so why would we do that? Um, But Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Biblical repentance does include admission of guilt. Biblical repentance is I've, I've come up short of what God's standards are, of what God wants from me, what God calls me. And my, my heart is bent to not follow after him. And so repentance is, it includes admission of guilt, but it's so much more than that. It's a heart posture toward God, a heart posture toward God that says, I'm not God, you are, I need you. I, I need you because I'm in this dilemma where I can't get out of this on my own. Jesus did not say, adapt and believe or have tolerance and believe or get along and believe. He said, repent and believe. There's something about submitting ourselves to this God who Jesus came to tell us about that puts us in a place to have the kind of faith that will change us and change the world. Listen to Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 16. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It is written, the righteous will live by faith, by believing, by repenting and believing. That is the very air that we breathe. So the kingdom of God is the first call for attention. And I love this concept of God's kingdom. And I think if we here in our own church can, can really get a glimpse of this and see it, it's one of the most powerful motivators and catalysts for reaching the world for Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, who would argue that the world's kind of been a mess, that people aren't getting along, there's war, there's all kinds of problems, political systems, racism, bigotry, um, judge, judging people for how they look, how they act, all kinds of things. But in this kingdom of God, It's just amazing to think about. If I understand what the New Testament says, the kingdom of God is made up of a lot of different people. It's made up of people who are Republicans and Democrats and people who are from Middle Eastern descent and European descent and Asian descent. The kingdom of God is made up of people who have a lot of tattoos and piercings, people who don't have tattoos and piercings. The kingdom of God is made up of people who think differently than I do, who look differently than I do who act differently than I do. But we have one thing in common, don't we? According to this, what we have in common is we repent and we believe the good news. And so we're a part and we have an opportunity in the mess of this world and what's going on in our culture to say, hey, guess what? The world is a mess, but we have another kingdom. 
We have a kingdom that we can belong to by faith. And it's a kingdom that, yes, is integrally um, working in this world, but it's beyond anything that this world would have. So has the proximity to the kingdom of God caught your attention? Do you live as though the kingdom of God is near? Do you act and do you interact with other people with that belief? The next call for attention is very closely related to that. Because if we do, when Jesus came by the lake, the kingdom of God is near and right out of his mouth, hey, come follow me, come follow me. Uh, You can rarely tell, by the way, how much time passes between events in Mark. You need to get used to this because Mark just kind of jumps to some next story and we say, wait, wait, Mark, how did Jesus get there? And it's almost like the author says, don't worry about that. Hang with me. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Jesus is there. He's saying, hey, he sees these fishermen. He says, you guys need to follow me. You need to follow me. The Sea of Galilee, which we showed a map for earlier, is a very interesting place. Um, I found a picture. This is not Peter on a boat. The outboard motor gives it away. But it is the Sea of Galilee. It's a real, real sea. People really fish there. Uh, it's, it's a place. So just think about that. This is, these are real guys making a living, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus might have known them before. I don't know that we have to assume that it's like their first encounter. But, but this is a, a powerful encounter. He comes up to Simon, later known as Peter and Andrew. And he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. Come with me and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. The imagery of the Gospels is so vivid at this point, isn't it? Jesus says there's a fresh catch out there. There's a fresh catch. You guys are in the Sea of Galilee catching fish. Wait till you see where I want you to go fishing. The kingdom of God is near. There's there's a whole new pool to fish in for us. It's interesting that Jesus calls at least seven fishermen to be among his intimate band of followers, a rough and tumble group, a group that uh, didn't really fit the mold of civilized society in many ways. They were just out there fishing for a living. They didn't hop in their Chevy Silverado and pull their new bass boat out to the to the lake. It was a hard living. And those are the men that Jesus called to come and follow him. So I want to draw your attention to what maybe is the most important part in verse 18. It says, they immediately left the nets and followed him. They immediately left their nets and they followed him. Hold on to that while we move to verse 19, where he runs into two more fishermen, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Um, Some have surmised because they had hired servants and a boat, maybe they were of a little better means than Peter and Andrew. Be that as it may, he called them with the same invitation. Verse 20 says, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they went away to follow him. This is where studying the life of Jesus gets uncomfortable for us. This is where listening to the call of Jesus can become really problematic, and it gets in the way of what I want for my life and what other people who care for me might want for my life. But it's every one of us who must hear this call, follow me, and this call has tied with it the call to leave something in order to follow Jesus, 
to leave something to follow him. They weren't failing in their careers, it doesn't sound like. It sounds like they were relatively successful as fishermen. And Jesus said, I want you to come and follow me. There was no rental truck that had all their stuff. They didn't have a backup plan. They left their former life and they followed him. The the kingdom of God calls us to do that. That's the, the playground we run to. The kingdom of God calls us to let go of all this stuff and to grab onto the call of God in our lives. The obvious question for us is, have we left things to follow Jesus? Another Old Testament theologian, Trimper Longman, writes this. I'm just going to read this quote for you. Although the call to discipleship is for all people, relatively few respond because Jesus demands priority above all social bonds, including those of kin. Discipleship is expressed in an obedience that is righteous and loving, even of enemies, to the point of one's death. At this juncture, these four men made a a decision to follow after Jesus, and that path ultimately would lead to them being martyred for their faith. They left everything to follow after him. We have to be serious about this. For too long, we've been making arrangements and priorities for ourselves, and we fit Jesus in when we have time. And Jesus came and said, no, guys, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I'm the priority. The kingdom of God is the priority. Leave all this stuff. This is where the mess is, and embrace the priority of God's kingdom. When you make decisions that affect your future, do you hear the voice of God? In your career, in your family, in your marriage, high school, college graduates right now, you're looking at your future, where are you going to go? Is this a part of your decision-making grid? That Jesus is saying, follow me? Whatever your career or vocational path, are you going to follow me? Are you going to let go of the things that people are saying is really important in this world that you have to have and say, no, I actually need the kingdom of God. I need to please God. So of the hundreds of requests for your time and attention today, these are the ones that matter most. These are the ones that impact eternity. The kingdom of God is close at hand, and the call of Jesus is clear. So how are we going to respond? How will we respond today? I assume that if you're like me, you have to shift things around, and and I have to do this all the time because all the stuff keeps creeping back, the priorities of this world, the other calls for attention, the things that are less important. And every day we have to listen again to the call of Jesus saying, follow me. So Jesus is calling you today. It's the same invitation that he gave to these fishermen. Will you follow after me? Our world seems to be spinning out of control. There's conflict, social unrest, political polarization, moral collapse, empty religions, uh, people going through the motions, comfortable Christianity, all this stuff. And these two calls, there's a kingdom reality, and Jesus is saying, follow me, and it's going to cost you something. But if it costs you something and you gain the kingdom of God, it really, you haven't lost. We've won. I do enjoy fishing. And sometimes it's nice to fish in a really well-stocked pond. Have you ever done that? Have you ever fished in a really well-stocked pond where, you know, they just loaded it up with bass last week? So chances are pretty good you're going to catch something. I think that's what we've got, isn't it? Don't we have a pretty well-stocked pond around here? We have a pretty well-stocked pond in my neighborhood, in my workplaces, and in the places where we socialize, in the gym where we work out. In fact, what's the worst thing that happens if we uh, 
tell someone about the good news, they either will respond, you know, yes, no, I'll think about it, or they already are in the kingdom, and then we celebrate with that. It's a well-stocked pond for us. We need to always be about fishing for men. This last week, uh, I was in my office, and some of you know Nap Easterbrook. Nap is uh, he's in his 80s. If anyone has a past to kind of coast for a while, I would guess Nap is the kind of guy who could. And he came knocking on my door because he comes in and he does biblical counseling as he has for years for us. And he knocked on my door and I said, yeah, what's up? He said, I just wanted to let you know the guy I was just talking to just accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. How cool. How cool. Always fishing. Always fishing. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. Always have my fishing pole. Always reaching out. Always telling people the kingdom of God is near. Come and follow Jesus. Come and follow Jesus. That's what we need to be about. Last Sunday afternoon, I was driving home from some uh, tasks my wife and I were doing, and we were in separate cars driving home. I was listening to the radio and had it on 96.3, which is just a pop radio station. And I heard this, inc- this song that just piqued my attention, given what we're talking about here as we go through the Gospel of Mark. It's by a group called Ocean Park Standoff, and the song is called Good News. It's called Good News. And I, I looked it up on the internet, and it's like number 15 on the pop charts right now. And, and here's, the, here, here's the lyrics. No, this is not a test. It never was. It never will be. You can take my best. It's yours. It never was for me. I'm just looking for something to get me out of my seat, something that's true. What did I do? Because every time I turn around, I'm back down to one. Tell me why it feels like I'm still on the run. I need some good news, baby. Feels like the world has gone crazy. I need some good news. This is not a song on Joy FM. This isn't someone who, well, I'm going to write a song about the gospel. This is a, a pop song, number 15 on the charts, from a secular group telling us in the church what the world wants to hear. There are a lot of people out there in your world who are looking for something that will get them out of their seat. They're looking for some good news. In fact, the bigger mess the world in, the better fishing is for us because we've got the good news. We've got the kingdom. We've got this wonderful Savior who we can share them with. So as you go through this week, um, be on the lookout for people who need the good news. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Find out where they're hurting. Share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Take your fishing pole, your spiritual fishing pole with you everywhere you go this week and be ready just to tell people what God has done for you in Christ. Will you do that for me? We've got a great opportunity to be fishers of men. Let me pray. God, we need to know how to experience the nearness of your kingdom. Help us to engage the good news of Jesus in a way that fundamentally changes how we look at everything. Forgive us for being so distracted with other priorities and the prejudices of this world that we've lost track of these two calls for attention, that your kingdom is near and that you've called us to follow you and be fishers of men. As we hear your voice, we lay down anything that holds us back. We lay down anything that holds us to this world. And with abandon, reckless abandon, we want to run toward your kingdom and embrace it. And then we want to turn to people around us and see the lost souls of men and women. And we want to to share with them the hope that we've encountered through you.
People are lost and confused in our world. They're crying out for good news. And here we have it. We come here every week and we celebrate it. Forgive us for so often not taking it to them. And this song and the people that wrote it are multiplied over and over in our lives where people are crying for something to get them out of their seat, for someone to tell them the good news. We know this is a spiritual work. It's not us doing it. So use us however you can this week. And we pray that all the, all the glory and all the response and all the celebration and all the credit will come to you because you've given us this glimpse of this great kingdom. Amen.